Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Sequels, sequels, everybody. Plenty of sequels to talk about this week. And a couple of us smaller films, too. Welcome. Thanks for joining in the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Yes, we appreciate them. And our first sequel this week finds Robert McCall serving up more unflinching justice for the exploited and the oppressed. But how far will he go when that is someone he loves? It's The Equalizer 2. Thought you were retired. Oh, I am. Just like you're dead. <laughs> What's the matter? They knew what floor she was on. They're tying up loose ends. Exactly. Was your partner for seven years, Mac. It's a mistake to go to war with him. It's go time. They're going to war with me. Whoever did this have off-chart skill sets. They killed my friend. So I'm going to kill each and every one of them. And the only disappointment is that I only get to do it once. You were pretty excited about this one because you enjoyed the first one better than what other movie? (laughs) Are you saying that I harp on that a little bit? (laughs) The Equalizer and John Wick, who, you know, they came out four years ago, right? About really less than a month. Yeah. um, Close to each other. The Equalizer beat it by a few weeks. And. Yeah, I've just seen over the over the last few years, you know, John Wick has has really gotten much more action cred, you know, from people. Seem, people seem to love it much more. I just don't understand it. I've always thought the first Equalizer was a better film all the way around. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked it, the first one, a lot. It's uh, Denzel Ant- Antoine Fuqua, mm-hmm. uh, and he's back for part two. And this is the, the strange kind of sequel where I think you might be able to enjoy it more if you haven't seen the first one. Interesting. I think it's just a step down in all levels. Mm-hmm. Not not that it's a bad movie, but when it's compared to the first one, I think it just doesn't doesn't measure up. This time, of course, if you didn't know, it's based on the 1980s uh, TV series. They rebooted it last time with Denzel taking over the role that Edward Woodward. Remember him <laughs> from the the um, what's the movie? Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. That's what I remember him yeah. from. Yes. Yeah, he was the uh, the original Equalizer on TV. But of course, once Denzel takes it, it's his. So it's, oh, yes. it's Denzel's now. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> After the last one, he's uh, the character, Robert McCauley, still in Boston. He's moved on from that uh, Home Depot-like store. Well, he had to move on because by the time he was done, <laughs> it was... The whole damn place was a shambles. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> he's now a Lyft driver and, uh, you know, making friends and then making enemies when somebody wrongs those friends. And the thing about this one, it gives you more of that random equalizing, you know, like where you see him, you know, get give some baddies some beatdowns yeah. with ice, more isolated incidents mm-hmm. that don't really have anything to do with the core story. Right, because the last time he was trying to get away from that life, and now he's just embraced it. Like, this is what I'm good at. He pretty much has. Follow your talents. Yes, exactly right. And he's taking some some jobs that, that do that, still trying to, you know, lay low. But so we see some of that, and it, it satisfies that that primal satisfaction. I mean, who who doesn't like to see a bad guy get what's yeah, coming to him? Yeah, a little comeuppance. Yes, it, exactly. So that's what this is about. Before they finally get to the core core story of McCall's past, secrets from his past, kind of coming back to haunt him. Now, Denzel kind of digs into the character a little bit deeper this time. He's still got those outward ticks that he that he brought up uh, in inter- introducing the character last time that kind of define him outside. 
But this time you get a chance to hear a little bit more, find out a little bit more about his past and who he was working with. And then that comes into play when some of his old compadres start getting picked off Mm -hmm. in hits. And then when there's a hit ordered on his old boss, Susan, played by Melissa Leo. Always great. Then he's got to get together with some other people that he used to work with in the in his black ops CIA days and try to figure out who's doing this. So then that becomes the conflict of working through people to get to, as he termed it in the first film, the head of the snake. Right, right. You know, and one of the one of the big things about the the first one, it had a great villain. It did. It really did. Martin Zonkus, I think is his name. Um, he did a great job yep. as the as the villain in the first one. And the villain in this one just doesn't measure up, as as m- many of the elements don't. Uh, it's not that they're bad. It's just that when looking at them through the lens of the first film, it's just everything is just a tick less, mm-hmm. except the running time, which is a tick more, and it shouldn't <laughs> be, unfortunately. Makes it feel a, a little bit more bloated. The, the the metaphors get a, just a little bit too weighty. Certain plot points just a little too convenient when uh, you had some of that in the first one, but not to this degree. So, you know, the, the violence is still stylized, which was one of the best things about the first one. You know, you had the... And really about Fuqua's entire, exactly. uh, uh, you know, filmography. He's, Especially he's, when working with Denzel. Yes. But, uh, but you know, the, uh, the eyeball and the stopwatch and the slow-mo every time he starts kicking some ass... Uh, that is still here, mm-hmm. just again, just not in the same in the same numbers. So Denzel is still a, a hoot to watch in almost anything, especially yeah, when he's being a badass. Mm-hmm. It's it's very very cool. The vibe is cool. I, I I think if you did like the first one, you'll still appreciate this one. I just think you you may think it's just not quite as successful at almost every element as the first one was. Sure. But it's still it's still. I think worthwhile checking out if you like this kind of, kind of movie. And that's The Equalizer 2. Another sequel takes us back five years after the events of the original Mamma Mia in 2008. Sophie learns about her mother's past while pregnant herself. It's Mamma Mia, here we go again. I have never felt closer to my mom. In the exact same place that she was all those years ago. Only this time we know who the father is. Pregnant. Yeah, I am. We can't tell anybody about the baby yet. I just told Bill. Yeah, and I told Harry. I told many, many people. Why, why did I ever let you go? Mama Mia, here I go again. Let's get the party started. Grandma, you weren't invited. That's the best kind of party, little girl. I should not have let you go. So how well do you like ABBA and ABBA songs? <laughs> that would be a big component of whether you want to see this movie or not. Do you know the deep cuts? Do you know the catalog? <laughs> do you embrace the entire catalog? It is a funny idea because on the one hand, um, the story, a storyline for a sequel is really gift wrapped with the first film because the first film, you know, uh, is about a, an adult trying to figure out which of these three different men is her father. Mm-hmm. So obviously an obvious sequel would be the origin story, right? Which is which is how they got to that point in the first place where there are three possible fathers. And that is, you know, what they dig into in the storyline here. The problem is the gimmick with Mamma Mia 
uh, which, to be honest with you, is amazing that it worked as well as it did the first time, which yeah. is that the whole thing is just set to ABBA songs. You're thinking to yourself, how can you possibly have that many ABBA songs that follow this storyline? But you did. It well, worked and well. It, and it was it incredibly also, popular. And it also had the blueprint of the stage show to go by, which this one doesn't have. Right. But still, but the point, though, is that the gimmick shouldn't have worked and and really, really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and it was fun and it was a fun idea and it was a, it, it was executed in a good way. Uh, the there are a lot of problems with the sequel. The first of which is that you don't have the only ABBA songs left that you would recognize if you're not if you're m- not more than a passing fan are the super weird ones that you can't fit into a storyline like <laughs> Waterloo, Super Trooper, right? Uh-huh. Fernando. So so, but then the others are all just sort of B sides and deep cuts and slow songs. A lot of slow songs. They have a really hard time cobbling that together in an entertaining way. Actually, some of the best scenes are the ones where they do have to really reach to make the the nuttier songs work. And and if you can just abandon yourself to the ridiculousness, you might be able to enjoy the film. But the truth is that the flashback story, which which stars Lily James, who's very good, generally. She's starring as Meryl Streep's character when she was young. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's just too much of her and not enough of her friends, her funny friends. There's just not enough. There's too much angst and not enough uh, sort of celebratory zaniness like what you found in the first one. Too many long stretches without humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's problematic. But then when they when they flash forward to what would be present day, you are just it's just led in with angst, pointless angst. Uh, Cher shows up, as you would know from the trailer, not till about three quarters of the way through the film. As She's, Meryl Streep's mother, yes. which is whether there's maybe three or four years difference in ages. Right. But but at this point, Cher looks like something manufactured in the lab anyway. Yes. So why not? Why not? Um, and also, you know, speaking of, I mean, the whole cast from the get go, from the original, they're really playing nowhere near their own age. Mm. Which was interesting in the first one because they're all playing much younger than they are. And I remember thinking to myself, well, good for you for going with these great veterans instead of going with any crop of 40-somethings because that's what most of Hollywood is. But now it's it's in fact 10 years later. They're playing five years later. And Stellan Skarsgård, for example, has the line, I'm in my 50s now. And I'm like, no, you're not. And that's one of the problems with having Cher play Meryl Streep's mother because Meryl Streep's character should be in her 40s. But, of course, she's... Meryl Streep is in but her 60s. they're also breaking into ABBA songs. That's so, right. You know exactly. what? Just hey. Suspend the disbelief. <laughs> I, the, the problem, I mean, there are a lot of problems with this film. If you're a huge ABBA fan, if you're a huge fan of the original, or if a lot of people in my, my screening, if you're a huge Cher fan, you're likely to enjoy it. But it's it's a far cry from being as good as the first. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't love the first. So if you're an ABBA maniac... Is that a word? If it's not, it should be. It should be. Uh, you'll dig it. Next sequel, probably the best of the bunch. This one finds a teen coming into possession of a new laptop, soon discovering that the previous owner is not only watching him, but will also do anything to get it back. It's Unfriended Dark Web. There's a cyber cafe that I've been working at, and this computer was sitting in the lost and found for the last three or four weeks. Hang on, you stole someone's computer? I didn't, I didn't steal it. Oh, yeah, okay. That's messed up. And I found this folder. It was hidden. Dude, this is dark web. What's dark web? Part of the internet, but no one can track you. It's all about drugs, illegal IDs, even assassination for hire. Yeah, the dark net is mostly about the bad guys. And this computer's got videos on it, right? Check this out. That looked way too real. I think that is real. We have to do something, and we have to do it now. Who's that? Wait, guys, hold up, where's Lex? Wait, that looks, that 
this building? No, you guys. No, 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 no. Is that Lex? I should just admit that even though my favorite kind of movie is a horror movie and I, I, I watched them all, uh, all of them, good, bad, ugly, all of them. I did not want to see this one because I don't like dark web whatnot. Yeah, uh, there's some unpleasantness. Now, you go back to the original Unfriended, which was four years ago. We found it surprisingly effective. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Yes, it's a gimmick. But as uh, one of our other moviegoing friends and podcasters has said, all movies have a gimmick. Yep. This one is high concept, obviously. It's that real-time computer screen gimmick. Now, the original Unfriended, I thought, really kept the integrity of that device pretty well. And so does this one. It's got a brand new uh, writer-director, Stephen Susco is his name. Uh, this is his first directing feature. He's, but he's, he's written a lot. He's of done a lot films. of writing. Yeah, he did yes. the, the Grudge, The Grudge 2. Yeah, the, the, the American adaptations. Yeah, exactly. And he's got, um, he just wrote the screenplay for another one coming out soon called Hellfest mm -hmm. that I saw the trailer for that looked a little interesting. Mm. So the point is the guy knows horror and he knows that it has always been used to poke at the anxieties of the current day. Yeah. And that's what it does here, because this movie feels very, very in the moment mm -hmm. of where we're at. I mean, you think about Unfriended four years ago. Well, four years in tech social media terms is an eon. Oh, yeah. You know, so Stone Age much four years yeah, ago. changes. And this one feels very in the moment. These friends get together to do a game game uh, night, game night yeah. on Skype, because one is in England and they're all strewn about it anyway. So they're doing it on Skype. And the one main kid, uh, a young 20-something, Matthias, he got this new computer, and he, he quickly finds out that the old owner wants it back because there is some nasty business on that hard drive, some nasty business. So as everything is playing out, you see these different screens and windows pop up. He's trying to bargain for not only his own life, but the life of his girlfriend, the life of everybody who's playing, playing. these games mm -hmm. as uh, the bad guy, the previous owner of the laptop, is in control. But one of the nice things is suddenly the power shifts and Matthias has control and then somebody else has control as little bits of uh, plot turns happen in this movie. And yes, some of it is preposterous, but as, as I said, they hold the device pretty well and it's, I don't want to say it's out and out really scary. It's awful creepy and it's, it's got a mean streak to mm -hmm. it. I mean, there's some nastiness you know, at the base of this as to what is going on. It may not be the most graphic movie in the world, but you don't want it to be. They they let you know enough in maybe typing on the screen, things you're reading on the screen, where your imagination can get uh, pretty graphic in its own right. So I think it is rated R. It's not it's not a hard R, whereas I think you said the original Unfriended was PG-13. I believe it was. So this one goes a little bit farther, but it's not an incredible uh, gore fest, but it is unpleasant. And it also makes nice, it's, it's got a sort of a wry, self-aware vibe about all the things that are happening with computers and social media. And, you know, many, many movies uh, since the rise of, you know, the online phenomenon have tried to build themselves as a cautionary tale for computers and for this type of communication. And this one does it better than most. I mean, it incorporates a lot of things going on right now, including swatting and, you know, Bitcoin, that online currency type of thing, beyond just 
stealing your identity or, or finding your social security number on, in the dark web, anything right, like right. that. So They can do other things. They can. They have other things on their mind <laughs> in the dark web. Yeah, exactly. So it just, it feels very, very relevant, and it, it's it's really well-constructed. I think it's, it's one of the movies, if you're going to have this, you know, for a lack of a better word, gimmick, um, you got to make sure it, it feels, the, the integrity is held throughout the movie. And I think this one does that. Um, I, I thought it was even better than the first one. Honestly, it feels a little bit more, a little bit more authentically creepy. Uh, one of the cast members is uh, Betty Gabriel. Oh, who we love. Yeah, from right. The, you, you'll remember her from Get Out and The Purge. She's a, this is a Blumhouse movie, and yeah. she's a Blumhouse favorite, yes, and she she's is. great. So she's, and really, as, as we thought about the first Unfriended, all the cast seems pretty authentic mm-hmm. as to how you react on a computer you know, how you deal with friends in a webcam and things like that. So so all in all, I, I think uh, I was impressed, even more so than the first one. So this is the sequel that we talk about this week that actually betters the first one, because the other two really did not. So a recommendation. If, if you like this kind of stuff, as I said, it's got a mean streak to it, uh, is Unfriended Dark Web. A couple of smaller films to talk about this week, but they're good ones, and we'll stay in the horror genre for the first one. The morning after a party, a young man wakes up to find Paris invaded by zombies. This one's called The Night Eats the World. You probably thought you'd drop dead peacefully in your sleep. And then... This happens. Is anyone here? Do you think there's a cure? I like that title. That's a cool title, it and it's, it's based on a novel. Yeah, it is. I like the title. It's hard to do a zombie movie in a way that feels fresh. Exactly. It, it really is. And I'm not saying that this one is completely unique. It definitely is not. Uh, it borrows some themes from some George Romero movies. It reminds me a lot at times of an underseen German horror film called Rambach, which you should see. You should just watch it. It's awesome. But what I think is interesting about it. I liked Rambach 2 First Blood. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'll be quiet now. (laughs) It basically sort of suggests, and I think it's correct, that regardless of who you think will survive the zombie apocalypse, it's going to be introverts. (laughs) It's going to be the smart, quiet ones. Because because they're smart and they're quiet. Right. So uh, so that's really what you have. Your main character, Sam, he's gone to a party, but he didn't mean to go to a party. He was going to his ex's house to get his stuff back. And, he, you know, he can't get her attention, and he ends up waiting for her in this back office of the apartment with the door closed, and then he locks it so the partygoer stops stumbling into it. And then he just sits there long enough, he finally falls asleep, and the party is loud, so we hear the screaming, but he doesn't. And he wakes up, and he may very well be the only living human being left in Paris. And it's an interesting way to start it. But then I love the pragmatic approach because you spend most of the rest of the movie alone with him. I have, I bet for fully an hour, there's not more than 10 lines of dialogue in this movie. Wow, yeah. You know, he's, he's you know, closing off the building. He's checking out the other apartments. He's being very systematic. He's, he's getting his groceries together. And mm-hmm. then after that, well, he's learning to play the drums. And then after that, you just watch <laughs> as it progresses through time until eventually 
he's almost mad with loneliness. Mm-hmm. And it kind of asks you, like, how far do you have to go before an introvert really, really longs for human connection? <laughs> and so it's very interesting. The performance, the one performance, quite, quite good. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be for everybody because it is pretty quiet. Uh, pretty slow in certain ways, but it's it's very, very clever, and I thought very satisfying. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, it's hard to find a new twist on a zombie film, and the point you make is a good one. This one feels as, as close to finding a fresh angle as we've seen in a while. Right. I mean, we thought the same thing about the girl with all the gifts. Yes. And you always can find a little thread here, a little yep. thread there from yep. other films, but... This one goes a long way to to being pretty original. Yeah, it's worth seeing. It's absolutely worth seeing. And it's not very long, so it's not like it's going to be a, a terrible waste of your time if you don't love it. But if you're a fan of, of horror films and if you're a fan of zombie movies, I think this is one you should check out. Another smaller movie worth uh, seeking out if it's in your area. Definitely not a horror movie, this one. It's a German pastry maker traveling to Jerusalem in search of the wife and son of his dead lover. It's called The Cake Maker. Where are you from? Berlin. They're very good. You like them? Yes. I would like to sell them in the cafe. Your husband, he died, right? Yeah. Actually, he used to go to Berlin a lot. He used to bring us cookies, like the ones you make. You know my son? I'm sorry. I didn't know your son. We don't want you here. Do you understand me? This one would qualify as a foreign film. It's some in Hebrew and some in English. Mm -hmm. And it tells a story of this cake maker, this uh, German pastry chef who, he's in Berlin and he develops a a long-term, long-distance affair with this traveling businessman from Jerusalem. And they start an affair and pretty much the uh, businessman, Oren, comes to town once a month to visit Thomas. And then he, he misses a month, and Thomas, it takes Thomas some digging to find out what happened to him, and he finds out that he was killed in a car crash. So grief and, and confusion really lead Thomas to travel to Jerusalem and seek out Oren's wife, his widow, and his son and his family, and very discreetly and slowly become a part of their world. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tell them his connection with Oren, obviously, uh, but he takes a job in Oren's widow, her name is Arat, and she's played by Sarah Adler, who we just saw a few Fox months ago Trot. in Fox so good. So good. And so uh, Thomas, who's played by Tim Kalkoff, who's also very good, such a understated, tender performance. The two leads fantastic in this movie. So Thomas begins working at Arat's cafe in Jerusalem and becomes a big hit with his pastries and his mm-hmm. cookies and mm-hmm. things like that. And so you know eventually the truth is going to come out. The question is, how does it come out? What happens when it comes out? And even if you know where this movie is going, you probably will, especially if you've seen more than a few foreign films. This kind of triangle has been dealt with before. Mm-hmm. It's just done so well. It's, it's a movie that is very quietly observational. It just kind of sits back and, and looks at these characters and lets them develop and lets the actors work. So many quiet moments, so many graceful, almost poetic moments, especially involving the food. Right. I mean, you'll Just come out of there want wanting a pastry. I mean, <laughs> and it makes, you know, these some of these moments in the kitchen especially very sensuous. Once it gets more intimate and intimate with these two characters, it really becomes a nice character study of the two of them. And then who knows what 
who suspects what, what happens when the truth comes out, and how both characters deal with that. It's a, it's a really wonderful meditation on not only love, different forms of love, grief. but loss, faith, grief, and it's really worth seeing. It's by a writer-director named Ophir Raoul Grazier. Hope I pronounced that right. An Israeli filmmaker with a, a long list of credits. This is the, I believe this is the first one of his films that I've seen. But a very well put together and well done in all aspects. Writing, directing, performing. Just a very quietly, deceptively powerful movie. And I definitely recommend The Cake Maker. And that'll lead us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, a bunch of stuff in the lobby coming out on home video this week. So we got to run through these fairly quickly. There's some good ones, though. Definitely a couple of the best of the year. Two or three of the best of the year. The first one, You Were Never Really Here. Joaquin Phoenix in a tremendous performance. Lynn Ramsey, writer-director, who also did We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is also an amazing film with an amazing central performance. Yeah, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is having a hell of a year. He's got another several movies coming out yet, That, but I hope that he is remembered for this one, and I hope Ramsey is remembered for this one yeah, it, uh, come it's, award it's, season. It's got a brutal streak. This has some brutality yes, about it, it but it's so worth seeing, if, if for nothing else but for his performance. But there's many other reasons to see it, too. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's it's uh it's it's got a brutal streak to it. Also, disobedience. It's another one that made our our ten best of the year so far list. This is another Israeli film, and it's it's got a great cast as well. Rachel Weisz, Rachel McAdams, and Al- Alessandro Nivola. Yeah, yeah. They, there's a love triangle going on there, and it's really another very good subtle character study about choices that you make and having the freedom to make your own choices. Yes. Yeah, and what you have to uh, the the, the hurdles, I guess, in society sometimes you have to get through to be able to do that, to have that freedom. I thought it was very, very good. Yeah, it's the same filmmaker who made uh, Fantastic Woman and made Gloria, and he just seems to really have an interest in the choices that women need to make to be who they are. And boy, he's just made three absolutely spectacular films on that theme. Yes, Sebastian Lelio, uh, you're right. He's, He's staying with that same theme, but bringing it out, bringing it to the forefront in a different way, and but definitely with great results, and that's disobedience. Isle of Dogs is out this week as well. Animated, the latest from Wes Anderson. Of course, he went animated years, a few years ago with the... Fantastic uh, Mr. Fantastic Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox. He likes animated primate, or animated uh, mammals. And yeah. this one about, obviously, dogs. Yeah. If you slow down, or I guess speed up the title, I Love Dogs. <laughs> I Love Dogs, and he obviously does. He and, obviously does. Yeah, and it's really charming, not perfect, couple little things, picks to knit, uh, knits to pick, uh, especially with cultural appropriation. You really can't watch it without thinking about that. But it is very charming and uh, some great voice talent involved. And utterly astonishing to look at. Like, the detail in this stop action, oh my God, it really is amazing to look at. Yeah, we enjoyed Isle of Dogs. Now let's move to the other pile. (laughs) Nuns, you might want to skip Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the video game adaptation of Rampage. Giant animals, there's a flying wolf and a gigantic gorilla and George an alligator. and Wolf. Yeah, George and Wolf. That's so right, I, both I give in it there. points for that, but that's about <laughs> the only really points it gets. It's utterly ridiculous. And um, yeah, not really not really that good. But if you're, you know, if you're a video game fan and a fan of the rock, you know, go for it. But we didn't care too much for it. Also, Super Troopers 2. This one really Now you got me wanting to sing ABBA again. <laughs> exactly. But this one maybe more than any other. 
If you like the first one, you're going to like this one. Yeah. I mean, the first one, really, this one got made because so many people liked the first one so much. Mm-hmm. There was such a call for it. There's you a know cr- what we call those people? Potheads. Potheads, exactly right. <laughs> and and this movie knows that. Yeah. And it, you yes. know what? It rewards them. So I don't <laughs> find this type of humor that funny. I found it had a couple of laughs, really not too many more than that. But you know what? If you like the first one and you like to toke it up, you are going to love this one. Super Troopers 2 for the hardcore fans only. Traffic also comes out on video this week. Um, I think maybe a little bit better than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, yeah, I think absolutely. Apollo Patton, who cannot act, cannot act. Lovely person, I'm sure. Uh, she leads this, and it's it's one of those uh, Liam Neeson movies. I mean, he's not in it, but you can just see that <laughs> framework. You've got a mid-budget. You've got a very, very angsty, very, very hyper-dramatic uh, plot line. You've got one kick-ass in the middle who's going to just take care of it all. This one is about sex trafficking, and... Um, one of the things that bothered me the most, besides that Paula Patton can't act, is that for a film that is supposed to be exposing this really ugly, horrifying slavery that can f- befall women, this movie does nothing but shoot down Paula Patton's shirt. Yeah. And the the two things together made me a little bit squeamish. Bit of a contrast, yeah. But, but on the whole, I mean, for one of those mid-budget action films, it it's pretty good. It's got some creepy characters. It isn't terrible. You know you've made your mark when you can not only be... You cannot be in a movie and still have it called one of your movies. Exactly. So Liam Neeson go, yeah, it's one of mine. I'm not in it, but uh, it's one of mine. So, yeah, pass on traffic. Also, I feel pretty. Amy Schumer, we were hoping for a rebound because we both love Trainwreck so much. So much. But, again, she's not writing here. She and I think that's what she needs to get back to. Because she's a, she's a very talented actor and she's certainly and funny, comic and, actor. Yeah, oh, my God. Very funny. But, but her greatest talent, as far as I'm concerned, is writing. She is a spectacular writer, and I wish that she could write another one of her own films. Yeah, she needs to get back to that, hopefully. And one more coming out this week. Another horror film gone wrong. Truth or dare? Another one that's very Mm -hmm. web-based and just stupid. (laughs) So there you go. Next week, one of the biggest of the late summer. Already getting a lot of very, very good buzz. We'll find out from Mission Impossible Fallout. Also, another one coming up next week. I don't say the title right, so I'll let Hope do it. Teen Titans! (laughs) Teen Titans, it's, it's, a, it's called Teen Titans Go to the Movies, right? That's right. Okay, so uh, we'll check that out. And also, we spoke of Joaquin Phoenix having such a good year. His latest, He Won't Get Far on Foot, is coming out next week as well. So we'll see about all those. Until then, let us know what you thought about this week's movies, either uh, in the theaters or on video. Plenty to choose from. You can find us uh, all over social media. Easiest way is on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. The main website where you can find our written reviews and also other fun stuff, including our other podcast, our horror movie podcast for you horror fans. You can find all that at madwolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and Marcus Crosswoods Theaters. Thank you so much for checking in. Hope to hear from you. We'll talk to you next week. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.